season four and every time you come in when i when i admit you i hear that little final angry or happy click that it's wednesday i don't know <laughs> it's a rush and a scramble and then i beam myself in and kind of like flow into the meeting and I, it, it, it goes well with a spack or spock scene beam me up scotty right? exactly exactly how's your week it's what how's your week so far can you hear me? Oh okay? man, it's intense. It's like, uh, I, how, how are you finding these conferences? Like I had today was a big conference day for me. You know, like it was like two big client meetings, two conferences, bunch of whatever it is. It's like video, 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 man. So great. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, I haven't. I think aside from Frontier, some European Space Agency thing, I'm kind of avoiding conferences, honestly, like uh, as much as I can here and there, basically, but. Not not much. Just uh, being being in, in the startup world. You I mean you know this? Unless there's like a real agenda for it, uh, right. kind of move on, skip. Yeah, I I don't think I've I've quite orientated myself with the idea of, of these conferences yet. Like, how do they how do I how do they happen? Meaning, like like I'll see like oh hey Eugene speaking at this conference, and you know maybe I'll get a chance to catch up with him. But it's like you know you're you know if you're speaking earlier, you're doing your video, and you know at two o'clock, and if I come in at four, yeah. we're not gonna. We're not going to see each other. You know? No, I've no... seen. Uh, actually, sorry, I did the Giant Health one uh, last week. Was it? So they actually yeah. had a cool, like they literally had kind of the back room, the you know, for right. speakers. So speakers were coming in and out, and it's like go to room six now for the actual live event, which was actually pretty cool. So, anywho, um, yeah. so we touched on a spec. Uh, so first of all, by the way, kudos. I mean, you know, season four. Who would have thought we would make it this far? Honestly, I right? think we made it, man. We made it. <laughs> a few days and yeah. dragged myself in. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, the Na Naeem uh, posted like, um, uh, you know, his top 10 podcasts. And I'm trying to remember, right. I think Benjamin, um, you know, commented, well, you forgot about, you know, Shadow Digital Health. So, you know, we're right. getting noticed. Right. We're, we're hitting those strides <laughs> on the right. way. Yeah, we're joining. We're fighting our way into the big boys club. <laughs> exactly. And it looks like uh, I like the scarf look. So it's a bit chilly. It's a bit chilly here. They, it's been, I've been freezing all day. I don't know what this is the heat because we keep the offices open for the, um, you know, because of the situation. Uh, sorry, the window, the windows yeah. open, so the oh, windows flowing through. So um, I've been freezing all day. So I'm going with the scarf just so I don't shiver. Oh, cool. Lose mental focus. Um, so since you beamed in and we've been talking about Spock Spacks, um, yeah. our next guest, um, I'll let him introduce himself as always, uh, but I, I kind of purposely wore the sweatshirt. Hold on. I don't know if people can see. Deal maker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Deal maker. So um, this is from the, well, one of the latest. I think there's a SPAC a week, but um, I'm going to let Jamie Edwards in. Awesome. The guy just energizes me every time I see his face. So let's see if he does the same to you. Like I'm, no, I'm looking forward to it. I was just listening to his one of his interviews, just to get myself into the Jamie Edward headspace mode. <laughs> Jamie That's a scary Edward. place. That's a scary place to be. <laughs> and what a what an entrance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're kind of be, you're kind of beaming in. Is you kind of coming in off of a kind of a very well lit background <laughs> i'm and, going and, to get rid of this virtual background really quickly hold on 
Let's get uh, rid of it. Okay. Don't give up the. Okay. Whew. There was a P at the end. Good. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. Don't give a shit. Yeah. This is good. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> so I don't give to. No. First of all, have you guys even ran across each other somewhere? You know, San Francisco JPM. Like, do, does it not do, yet? Do faces look familiar? No, not yet. Yeah, well, I, I was just listening to your interview with uh, with Jess and maybe something else with Startup Health. So we definitely we're definitely circling circulating in a in similar you know kind of yeah definitely been in the same place, just never bumped into each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but I'm looking forward to hearing about it and seeing. Sounds like you're up to loads of stuff yeah it's been busy it's been busy why don't i mean for for jim of course too but uh but who cares it's more for the viewers and listeners uh because i i personally i'm uh, as, as marty always says i'm the lazy host uh personally so <laughs> well, why don't you introduce yourself because the way i introduced you before you i kind of let you in is every time i see jamie it just puts like a smile on my face just that that energy Aww. you know mm. so yeah mm-hmm. yeah um, but g- give yourself uh, some kudos here. Uh, sure. So Jamie Edwards, CEO and co-founder of Cloudbreak Health. Um, you know, uh, my background largely was um, I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur from a from college on. I took an entrepreneurship class in college, wrote a business plan, and I became hooked on this premise of entrepreneurship, which was being able to take some crazy idea in your head, make it real, and then make it matter to people. Um, right. And so. Going through that, though, I realized, you know, I was a history English guy growing up, not so math and science-y. Um, so I realized I had a gap in my skill set, and I grew up during the time of Enron. and really discovered that, like, well, I never wanted a CFO to be able to pull the wool over my eyes. So I went into investment banking and private equity work for the first 10 years of my career to really build out a skill set and under like, try and understand how capital raising worked, um, try and understand, you know, the story that financial numbers told in financial statements and how they communicate, communicated a company story similarly to a PowerPoint deck or anything else, right? So <clears throat> I understood the importance of like storytelling in business and wanted to be able to do it from all angles. Um, and so, you know, ended up coming from a family of doctors. My aunts and uncles on both sides are doctors. My sister's a doctor. My brother-in-law's a doctor. The joke around kind of the Thanksgiving table, right, is that she's a gynecologist and he's a urologist. So they've got the, you know, pelvis covered from all angles. <laughs> from that standpoint. Um, but my favorite uncle, don't take offense, other uncles, um, was an ER doctor out in Los Angeles. Fuck the other and, uncles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, my other uncles are awesome. They're great. I love them. But um, the one who I, I spent the most time th- with, maybe I doubt that's they're a better way this. to describe him. Yeah, yeah. Maybe there's a better way to describe him. It's the guy, you know, my uncle who I spent the most time with. Right. Um, was an ER doctor out in Los Angeles. And I started doing some consulting work for him. He's the reason why I ended up moving out to LA. I went to Cornell for undergrad. Everyone moved to New York City out of Cornell. I was like one of the only people to go to Los Angeles, um, committed some friends to uh, join me in that endeavor. So I wasn't moving out here alone. Um, but, you know, he had built an emergency room group. He was an ER doctor, discovered he didn't want to work for other people, wanted to build his own group. And for 15 years, you know, spent some time to build, you know, out of a group of three or four different ER contracts. And so we kind of made a deal where he would teach me healthcare and I would, you know, teach him about business. So obviously really easy to impress your physician uncle with your knowledge of revenue and EBITDA and cash flow because they don't. <laughs> and and, and uncle, this and is PowerPoint. This right? is how you do not Enron. <laughs> Right. Exactly. I love exactly. I love how you brought Enron in so early in the conversation. <laughs> yeah, was that, was that a tone setter? <laughs> oh, totally. 
I know I like it. I, I like, I get the feeling that you could walk near the edge of the line or something. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm not setting up any, any crazy, you know, special purpose Sorry. LLCs or anything like that. Um, but anyway, so you, he taught me healthcare and I taught him business and it was a very symbiotic relationship. And eventually he moved, moved him out of his home office to a real office, built physician productivity systems for him in Excel and, you know, really built the infrastructure, taught him how to, you know, speak to CEOs about return on investment and all those different types of things. And he taught me healthcare and I saw it from the provider side, right? Eyes wide open, physician burnout, how technology was impacting the healthcare system. And eventually said, Jamie, I'd like you to come run the company full time. So I left my investment banking job. I was at Lehman Brothers at that point in time. Ah, Lehman. Lehman. Yep. Okay. Lehman in 06. It was still a great place to be. Um, yeah. I have a lot of fondness for the it firm and the people that I worked for. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was it was a really amazing place and um, ended up leaving, moving from New York back out to LA and, um, you know, haven't looked back, uh, really taken on the crux of creating technologies. You know, we as a company, Cloudbreak right now, we talk about being very provider centric as opposed to patient centric because our my whole theory, and I learned this from being the CEO of EMA, was if I could fix the provider problem, i.e. if I could restore the joy of calling and meaningfulness back to their job, they'll take better care of patients. Like that's my whole thesis, right? Like let's make, let's, let's restore what doctors used to be in our society. Um, and uh, if I can do that and do it effectively by putting really easy to use technology at their fingertips, they'll take better care of patients and we'll be able to humanize healthcare. And, and you know, I, so, I was saying, is it always so rewarding? Do they always appreciate your calling? Uh, yeah, I mean, no, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> reality sets in, it's a difficult job. Um, doctors are always being asked to do more with less. Um, you know, Their pay is typically going in the opposite direction. They're the most burnt out workforce in the country, um, which is a crazy thing to think about. And what's the number one, James, you know, uh, you know the number one um, symptom of that burnout? They treat patients like objects instead of people. Right. So our whole humanizing healthcare thing really stems from that. We want every patient story to be told in a way that it can be understood and have that story vest the doctor in that patient's care, make that person worth saving, worth treating um, and worth knowing. Right. Not being treated as a statistic or a data point. You know, the, the amazing part and uh, with humanized healthcare, right? Um, we always talk about kind of bringing that doctor back, you know, the, the doctor, the home doctor visits, the home doc, right? Um, the yeah. crazy part is you can actually start doing that now with telemedicine. I know it's not the Absolutely. same. Yeah. But. Absolutely. Yeah. Look, it's about meeting patients where they are on their terms, any device, anywhere for us, any language. Um, that's a big part of what we do as a company is resolve healthcare disparities. Um, and so that's a really important thing for us is to say, you know what, what is really going to make the patient most comfortable and most satisfied? Is it sitting in a waiting room, waiting for the doctor to come in and see them? No, it's at home on their sofa. And if we can use technology to really set up that digital front door and help patients wayfind their you know, way to that ultimate patient visit, which a lot of patients need, the technology is really just a tool. Right. We talk about telemedicine. I mean, telemedicine is just medicine. When someone uses a stethoscope on you, do they say, hey, Eugene, I'm going to use some stethoscope medicine on you? No, it's just practicing healthcare, And that's what we need to get to with the technology. These digital health tools are just another way to practice healthcare and make it better, more efficient and more satisfying, really to improve the quality I, of that patient encounter. Honestly, I think I would run out of that office if somebody wanted to specifically use a stethoscope <laughs> medicine on me. So, <laughs> you always got to be aware. Doctor comes in, it's like, I'm going to practice some stethoscope but, medicine. 
but you know, I, I, I new new tradition, Jim. By the way, um, oh look at that. Okay, <laughs> you know, now that I'm settled in Barcelona uh, and all of my liquor arrived from from Berlin, so I'm I'm gonna show a new Scotch whiskey every week. I like it until I run oh. out of them. I like that. So. And by the way, I don't think you'll be running out for a long time. <laughs> the spirits industry seems to be doing just fine during COVID. That's all I'm saying. But there's so many things. Like I, I got about a thousand questions, but I'll keep it easy, Eugene. You know, <laughs> but like so time. I, I got to I got to go into I got to jump right into language. So yeah. and, I, and you've heard me talk about this before. Like I okay, I was listening to you talk about language, and one of the other things is. Um, in in your so that felt like that was your entry point that that was just like absolutely unique entry point for you and like yeah. do you have a do you speak languages it just because la is so diverse as your starting point where did how did that come as the angle so one i've always been interested in languages when i was in high school i took um or in grade school i took six years of latin and two years of mandarin chinese i don't speak either language but I've always appreciated because, you know, my dream was actually eventually to go live in China and or Hong Kong um, and be speaking Mandarin and, you know, have, have mastered that. Um, so I took intensive summer courses. I'm, I learned 500 characters, which I thought was actually really cool. Like writing Chinese characters is an art form um, and uh, Mandarin characters and Cantonese. And it's, it's really fascinating to me how different languages have evolved. That being said, I never thought, James, I would find myself in this business, right? Um, even in going into healthcare, I never thought I'd find myself in a language services sub-vertical right. of healthcare. And it came about because when my chief medical officer, when I was at EMA, sat on the board of a company called the Language Access Network. And the Language Access Network was a company that was founded by my current co-founder, Andy Panos. And Andy had had an experience where he went to Mexico. His family was in an accident. Um, and no one spoke the language and, you know, problems ensued, right? Um, they couldn't find out where, you know, their uh, family member was taken and then they couldn't speak to the doctors and they just saw the stress that this added to the whole experience and the fact that it really could have been solved if they had a language interpreter um, right. handy to help them navigate the system in the language and the cultural barriers and all those different types of things. So we came back to the United States knowing how diverse the U.S. is and said, this has to be happening all over the country. Over. And um, yeah. lo and behold, it was. You wouldn't realize this, but the company was originally founded in Columbus, Ohio. And if I asked you, James and Eugene, like how many languages do you think are spoken in Columbus, Ohio? What would you guess? Well, I'm going to go with what you're probably leading me to, but like a lot, <laughs> like I'm thinking. But I'd say like a dozen. A yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd pick the dozen. Okay. Yeah. James. Yeah. I'm, I, yeah. It's 10 to 15. I'll go 15. 126 different languages. What? Spoken in Columbus, Ohio. So you think about that and the fact that there are refugee settlement areas all over the country and that, you know, people from all over the world want to live the American dream still to this day. Yeah. And our country is becoming really diverse. We're going to be a majority minority country by 2050, um, yeah. if not sooner. Um, and, you know, currently one in 20, I'm sorry, one in five, one in 20, it's 20%. One in five families speak a language primarily other than English in their home. That's amazing. I mean, so these people now are coming to hospitals and communication is the number one diagnostic tool a patient has. I mean, a provider has, it's the number one empowerment tool a patient has. Um, 
if you think about the physician exam, what are they doing? They're asking you questions the entire time. What's your history of present illness? What's your family history? Someone comes in clutching their chest. Well, is that a chest pain workup or an indigestion workup? Well, you find that out by filling out that patient chart. Um, and so this, this, is, this is why we're performance improvement tool. This is why Marina and I uh, started as of today, actually two hours every morning. Now we go for our Spanish lessons because we went to Genius. the hospital just to take, you know, a COVID test. Right. And it was just frustrating. Right. I mean, and, uh, and yeah. Marina has a little bit of a Sp base in Spanish. I, you know, does Marina have Russian? Does she have Russian? Yeah. So we both, we both speak yeah. Russian. Yeah. 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 See, like yeah. in my house, like my wife's Italian, you know, I always say, you know, I live in Ireland, but grew up in Boston, but I say the Irish and the Americans are divided by a common language. And, um, and, then, and then I say, you know, my mother-in-law, which I, who I love dearly, we're united by a divided language. <laughs> oh, interesting. That's a, that's a really cool perspective, James. We're going to have to cut that love, snippet, Jim. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my mother-in-law probably does watch all this, but the, um, the, the, uh, what I would say, like when you would ask my, my, so my wife, you know, she actually, you know, she was, she's, she actually was investment banking at Goldman Sachs, like yourself. Yep. And, um, but she really learned English as an adult, really fluently. Like she learned it in school, scholastically, but learned as an adult. But she would walk in, you know, she, she would walk into a, uh, like we'd go to a, a bar or a club and be out with friends or dinner. And someone would say to her, what's up in America? Like, what's up? And you would have to listen to her for like an hour. Because, because the <laughs> translation and and she would describe everything that was going on with her because it was a cultural aspect of Italians and and the Italian kind of equivalent they would say or I probably got this wrong but they would say like contenti contenti and contenti means are you content the direct translation mm -hmm. is are you content yeah. and the Italians are quite you know they're quite willing to talk about whether they're content or not which it would be you wouldn't hear an American. <laughs> you know, talking about like, are, like what a deep conversation, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, I remember when I first made it to this side of the pond, you know, 10 years ago, I would say, how are you? And, you know, that was just a hello. And then people would respond and start telling me their little <laughs> bit of the life story. Right. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> You're like, that was so more language, than I thought I would get out of this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Languages, nuances, cultures. I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's absolutely, absolutely amazing. Right. It's, well, and by uh, the way, like what we do is about way more than just being able to translate one word from another, interpret one right. phrase, like, you know, interpretation is much more of an art form than translation. Translation is that written paper. I'm going to say, here's what was said on this paper. I'm going to move it over to this side in a different language. Interpretation is about painting a picture of understanding, right? And making sure that right. each party understands what the, it's much more of an art form. Right. Um, and uh, it's uh, pretty powerful when you sit, like we used to pre-COVID, we had language centers where everybody would come to work every day. Um, and they would sit there and you'd hear all the conversations going on in all the different languages. And it was insane. We have a COVID rule. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. Is that, is that, was that like COVID bingo? <laughs> the other way around, you're not supposed to say any of those words. Like that's why we started this in March that this was oh. like, you know, so C do, I need to write it, do I need to write it down and like, no, it's to... like, we, we never figured out what the penalty is really because there isn't, but we're not. We're not particularly mean hosts or anything. No, we try we try not to be. Um, but um, I mean, the know, conversation would get more interesting down the road if there's like a penalty where you have to be like, okay. Yeah. Um, I think we we're open to that. <laughs> we're open to that. So that's awesome. So and and then I think like so going in with the language. I mean, would you that 
this this need for better communication, the fact that there's a hundred and something languages in Columbus, you know, is that what got you the traction? Like, you know, is that was that the secret sauce? Was that the? Yeah, I mean, we were solving a real problem for hospitals. So if you right. took a look at how hospitals were doing this before, they one they could have in person full time employed interpreters, they could yeah. have agency interpreters, they right. could do it over the phone, but when video came all of a sudden you had a solution that was kind of, if you had a Venn diagram of cost, quality, and efficiency, video sits right at the center of that, right? 70% of communication is nonverbal, feels like you've got someone in the room, people you know, are very impressed by the technology, so much so to the point that the technology almost fades to the background and the person feels like they're there. Um, and everyone's really kind of grateful about the experience, but it creates a lot of efficiency because typically you had to wait for that full-time interpreter or the agency interpreter to get on site. Well, now you could have them at the bedside in 30 seconds. Yeah. Right. Um, from a quality perspective, um, you know, again, versus audio um, and audio interpreting, and we do a fair amount of audio interpreting because sometimes those languages aren't available in video. There's a lot of clarification that needs to happen. They need to understand where the patient is pointing to on the chest and they ask a lot of clarifying questions. So those interpretations tend to be a little bit longer. But what we have found with the interpretation market in healthcare is that each new modality that gets added expands the pie for everybody and increases access. Does it do a little bit of cannibalization of other modalities? Yes. But if you look at healthcare today, there's still full-time interpreters, there's still agency interpreters, and people are still using audio. So what ends up happening is almost like the pie gets bigger for everybody, and more people are now more compliant than they ever have been in the past versus using non-compliant methodologies. And, and what's the, I mean, so there's obviously efficiencies for the hospitals, but I would also assume that it um, uh, error reduction, right? Treatment oh my God, error yeah. reduction. So that's probably a huge, huge savings ultimately and uh, and out better outcomes for patients. Absolutely. Lower defensive medicine costs, better patient flow throughout the hospital. If you think about hospitals today, right, they're just like restaurants, except you can't have a bad meal. They're turning beds instead of turning tables. Um, so what you end up seeing is what tools can you put at the bedside that enable them to discharge the patient more quickly, that enable them to speed care to the patient when they're initially being admitted and going through registration and then in the back, um, that allows them to get testing more quickly. Like all those patient flow issues really make a big difference. If I can go to a hospital and say, you know what, you can see 100 patients more now in your emergency department this month because you're using this solution and now you're able to discharge patients more quickly and more accurately diagnose them and reduce your defensive medicine costs. And by the way, create a more satisfying experience so that your HCAP scores are better. Like you can see how communication can help drive what is a better, more well-running, higher quality experience that actually is way more cost-effective. So what, what happens upon the discharge of that patient? Because obviously, you know, God forbid you, if you brought in and there's, you know, you're diagnosed with something and upon the discharge, I mean, the biggest loss uh, is in educational take home, right? Uh, yeah. Knowledge. So yeah. just, I'm curious if you guys are playing in that space, to be honest, I, I don't know your full model. So this is great. Yeah. So we're, we're just starting to play in that space. Um, you know, candidly, a lot of what we did before was simply hospital-based or clinic-based, you know, ambulatory inpatient. Mm -hmm. Like that was really the space where we played. And we have now 14,000 video endpoints at over 1,800 hospitals across the country doing over last, last month, we did 120,000 plus encounters. So um, it gives you an idea of the size and scale and scope of the system. And, you know, in hospital, we're not only now doing 
bringing language interpreters to the point of care, many hospitals realized that what they had really invested in with us as a partnership was a telemedicine platform. And we had already done the hard part. And what most people don't realize is this tele-interpretation solution is the only telemedicine solution that's throughout the entire hospital. Right. Telestroke, typically just in the ER. Telepsychiatry in the ER, a little bit of inpatient. Um, Tele-ICU, just in the ICU, right? But these LEP and deaf patients are everywhere throughout the hospital. And so they have to have our devices everywhere as a result. And that installed base is a telemedicine platform that's ready, willing, and able to be used for other purposes. So during- I think it's genius. Yeah, it, and congrats. And like the, cause you know, I was thinking about that and just in only being exposed to your model for a little bit, but I always kind of, I, I've said on this podcast before, I talk about the MacGuffin, right? You know, the MacGuffin, <laughs> the, every, every, every great entrepreneurial story needs a MacGuffin, which is the, you know, the actor in the Alfred Hitchcock novel that everyone okay. thinks has committed the murder. And so the whole story builds around that, not, you know, and everyone gets excited and drawn into the story. And as the story develops, the, the MacGuffin leaves the story. And, and by the end of it, they're no longer in the story and it's a writing you know, it's a writing artifice. So, but the idea is, is that, is that everyone needed a translate, you know, and, and so meaning, and it's not, it's not a ruse. I'm, I'm saying it's, it's vital. Like you needed yeah. a vital, there was probably a budget for translators. They all needed it everywhere. And then, so you, you're combining that with a telemedicine platform. Whereas if I just came in and said, I want to tell, sell you a, a new telestroke service, then I had to convince you that was worthwhile versus however you were doing it today but you needed a translator. That's, I, I, that's my interpretation of genius. Yeah, well, look, I'd like to tell you, by the way, that I had this as part of my grand scheme all the whole time, uh, but I didn't. You know, we were really just being opportunistic. Our mission was to go out and help these LEP and deaf patients. And then we started listening to our clients and they said, well, hey, can you guys add this service and this service? So we've added telestroke, we've added telepsychiatry, we've added teleurology okay. uh, to the platform, all available at the simple push of a button. And um, we really want to be the telemedicine enablement tool in hospital and then help hospitals build out their digital front doors as well. Because our view of telemedicine today and where it's going is that healthcare being local is still important. As a patient, I want to know that my care can be escalated to that in-person visit. And so would I rather go to a national telemedicine company and have a doctor who's seeing me from New York or would I rather have someone who's got my longitudinal patient record and just know that my existing continuum of care now is digital health smart? Um, and that's where we think the market is going. And, and, and you know, even disease specific or more holistic, depending on what the need is, right? I mean, if you compare yeah. back to the restaurants, which I, you know, on one side, I like the comparison on the other side, I don't, right? It's the same pipe, but I want, I don't want just plain water. I may want, you know, come, you know, something nice coming out of that pipe, right? Like, um, yeah. But, um, yeah, we've really built a network with now multiple services can be offered over it. And during, is, am I playing the game? Oh, you can't see it. It's not showing up. There you go. Am I doing this right? Okay. During, yeah, during that, <laughs> I'm trying to play by the rules. Yeah. During okay. that, we actually launched telequarantine. So we enabled our devices to be able Ooh. to be rolled into the room and turn any room into a connected care room. And so what happens then? Well, now the doctor doesn't need to go into the room to see the patient and round on them. They don't have to, you know, get gowned up and wear masks and glove up and say, you know, waste PPE per se. Um, and so, you know, we helped them manage what was a better resource. And we turned around that product in three weeks, offered it to the market for free, pioneered it. No one else was doing it at the time. And, um, you know, those are the types of things that we want the platform to be able to do really solve some of healthcare's real issues. Right. Love the telequarantine, even though I think by 
just saying quarantine that kind of presumes tele <laughs> everywhere. But, but, but. I'll be happy, Eugene, when we can get rid of the day when we put tele in front of any of this stuff. I'm, I'm just, yeah, I'm just surprised that like I haven't seen, uh, you know, your tweets with tele quarantine. Maybe I missed them. I'm, I'm always just fascinated how thoughtful your tweets are about oh, like an article. Because honestly, I just read something. I just put it out there. But like you actually put some more context to it. And I'm like, yeah. I don't know, as a CEO of a company, I don't know when you find the time, but I it's, you know, you know, I uh, social media to me was a little bit of um, a mystery black box prior to getting involved in Twitter and LinkedIn more. And what I realized is, is you know, I really want to be constructive for the people who are following the space and following the industry. And I, I look at people like, you know, Rasu and even getting involved in the Pink Sox stuff with Nick. Yeah. And I've seen the power of how the social media can then translate into what is real life value. And so I wanted to be able to do the same. And so I try and be very thoughtful with what I post and try and add not just the article, but an insight that goes along with it and help people really focus in on what I think the crux of the message is. And Twitter, it's difficult because you've got just a few characters in which to make that case. But um, it's been super productive. And it also shows that you're actually reading it um, and not right. spreading, you know, hashtag fake news, right? So right, uh, <laughs> right, right, exactly. Are you Jamie? Are you like a West Coast guy or an East Coast guy? You're, I grew up in Buffalo, New York, so I've got my, you know, Monday night Buffalo Bills uh, victory still on my chest. So you, you got your venture capital vest, <laughs> right? right my jacket. No, I I wear a sweatshirt just for you. I showed it to Jim early when we started recording, but oh yeah, well hold on. Oh, look at that. <laughs> the deal what does it maker. say in the little swale thing at the bottom? Oh, I don't know. But I just saw oh, the okay. deal maker. But I'll I'll yeah. take it off later and, and read it for you. But the deal okay, maker cool. was the point. I we I like on that. the deal maker. I like that. Yeah. Speaking so, of deals. Oh wait, yeah. no, sorry. We're we're going somewhere else with this. No, no, the, just the, the best the... he's in California. Okay. Yeah, I'm a Buffalo guy. I love Buffalo, New York. It was a great place to grow up. Very normal place. Like, you know, you know, no one gave a crap about what type of car you drove. It was about the bills and chicken wings and pizza. And so, you know, core part of my diet, I still get my Buffalo wings sent to me from mm -hmm. Buffalo and bake them in the oven. Um, it's, it's the uh, only it was a great place thing to be, but that I, I love living in Los Angeles. Is the wings? I miss in Europe. I miss good, good, like U.S. Buffalo wings. I Jeez, We got good wings here in Dublin, man. All right, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll I'll swing right over. I, so, by I, the way, I don't know if you guys have done this during, you know, the mystery <laughs> name we're not allowed to mention, but um, have you guys found Gold Belly? No, oh. what's that? Oh my God, it's a food website. Yeah, and I'm addicted to it now. Um, I get my bagels sent to me from Montreal because Montreal has the best bagels in the world from a place called St. Vieter Bakery. So I have those shipped in now, and then I get my buffalo wings sent to me directly from Buffalo. You can order basically any local hometown favorite type of food i think marina was going to order on this. this site it is phenomenal so you could get probably you could probably get wings sent to you i mean by the time they it's get great. here it, no, anyway i'll figure up I'll, I'll, I'll you know gold like, belly I'll it might be it expensive shipping but it might be worth it it's like a, yeah it's like, a, it's like a food bank for the rich <laughs> well it's i guess that's one way to look at it it's not inexpensive i will grant you that <laughs> All right, back, let, let, let's jump back. I'm like eager to jump into this uh, SPAC. All right, because yes. it's it's interesting. Yes. You've been saying, you know, we want to be, we want to be right. Um, I, I guess kind of rewind back because I remember I just saw you in January JPM. We had, you know, there was as every entrepreneur, we all have like our ups and downs and sideways yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, 
to the extent you can talk to us man like how did this come about like you know all of a sudden there's like five or six companies being rolled up like i don't know just to, to uh and it's what up health right up health is the yes uh the the parent umbrella you don't have to you don't have to give up the shit no the ship <laughs> the ship the- oh, it's the ship with a p yeah yeah <laughs> i should like i should tape up the you know that part of it or something make it more interesting for people um Look, the UpHealth deal, we've actually been talking to um, the founder of UpHealth, this guy, Chiranjeev Kathuria, for a year and a half. And he had a bold idea and vision for what he wanted to do, which was create a digital health super company. And so he started pulling different companies together. And we said, look, why don't you come talk to us when this is um, you know, more well-formed from that perspective? Meanwhile, you know, we have other alternatives that we're running down and we had a business to run and our business, you know, look, I would like to tell you entrepreneurship Spoken is like, like straight, an investment banker, by the way, right? it's like a straight yeah. hockey stick, right? It's like, oh yeah, the business just continued, but that's, that's not the case all the time. And we, as a company have been through a cycle cycle or two in our history. And yeah. so we were really focused on making the next two or three years kind of back from November 19 on really good. And in November 19, we launched our new Marty Next platform and our growth really started to pick up and we were really excited about its traction in market. And then that <laughs> yeah. hit, right? And um, when that hit, because we do so much hospital-based telemedicine, our numbers went down. Yeah. Um, and we were like, okay, well, what are we going to do? So it accelerated our product roadmap. We ended up launching telequarantine we ended up launching a virtual visit platform so that our hospitals now could use you know have one platform to manage not only in hospital but out of hospital telemedicine Um, and we started obviously um, digital health companies became even more in vogue than they were before and so we started to really evaluate opportunities we had a ton of incoming calls saying hey what are you guys thinking about the next chapter and then chiranjeev called us back and said guys i want to let you know i've done it like we've We've got this locked up. We have a special purpose acquisition company ready to go who's, who's interested in the deal. He's like, this is happening. And so we sat there as a board and we said, you know what? Um, there's still some risk associated with you know, any type of transaction like this, but we should move forward. We believe in the vision. And um, I, what got us really excited was speaking with the other companies and realizing that everyone, every company in this alliance and in this combination is purely complementary of the others. There's mm-hmm. literally no client overlap. Um, and uh, there's a huge opportunity to cross sell different services. And I really liked and thought I could learn from the other entrepreneurs who are really smart in their various sectors and in their space. And we saw our anchor of 1800 hospitals in the United States and being able to offer more and more services to them and become more of a one-stop shop as a huge opportunity. So, you know, our board, said, yeah, let's, let's do this. And we gave it, you know, to do consideration and made sure we were um, satisfying all appropriate fiduciary duties. But at the end of the day, everyone was just super excited about the opportunity to build something great. And, you know, what's great about this deal is on day one, it's north of a hundred million of revenue. It's profitable and it's global. You know, there's operations, not just in the United States, but in, in India and the UK and in Africa and the mission of each one of these businesses really combines to become what is the digital health infrastructure um, globally to help solve healthcare disparities and make the healthcare system a better place to be. So That's let's awesome. see if I can let's see if I can remember this because uh, I actually saw the whole whole PDF. Um, 
um, and I think it pulls together companies in so kind of integrated like care management, right? Yeah. Pharm- yep. Pharmacy. Yeah. Uh, I think you guys play in the telehealth space um, as part of that. Uh, and then behaviors. Yeah. Behavior health. Yep. Did I, what do I win? All right. That was pretty impressive by the way. But yeah, we, <laughs> I think the, the company is going to be playing in four rapidly growing sectors that all are natural complements to each other. So digital pharmacy has obviously been a huge opportunity in this country. You know, not only do you have good RX out there doing the great work that they're doing um, in terms of, you know, really democratizing medicine uh, medications for people and making them affordable. Uh, but you've got companies like and- Roe and Hims and hers, you know, her out there who are really, you know, in the business of making sure people get the meds they need and taking on what are, um, taboo issues, um, but taking them on their head and making And who was really pulled in for that? Sorry, to uh, which, which company? Just that so area. there's a company I, called I, MedQuest. MedQuest. And they are uh, one of the largest compounding pharmacies in the United States. And right. they are one of the few companies out there that actually have licenses in all 50 states. And a big component of what they do is they have a digital platform with over, you know, 13,000 prescribers on it. So yeah. your super cool stuff. Bank- your investment banking background must have been like, do you feel like that like just came came to flow for this? Because it just sounds like, yeah, it sounds like uh, the combination of is it all coming back now? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I look at my investment banking background as just one of the key things that's made me who I am. And just, you know, I investment banking taught me, you know, a few things. One, it teaches you how to do a deal and get a deal across the finish line, which is, you know, by the way, most deals don't close, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many times in CloudBreaks past we had lined up deals that we thought were going to be amazing and they just didn't close for one reason or another. Um, so uh, that happens a lot, but it also teaches you that it gives you confidence, right? Like I saw people who, I saw people who weren't that smart running $10 billion companies. And I saw people who are really smart running startups. And you start to realize that your, your opinion matters just as much as anybody else's. And I always used to walk into the room and be like, I'm going to walk in. I'm the dumbest guy in the room. I'm going to sit and listen. And eventually you realize, well, you're not the dumbest guy in the room and you have something to contribute. Now, by the way, I still adopt that mentality whenever I go in somewhere, because I think it's the best way to learn. And I think, you know, it's just part of being humble. But you start to realize that there's, there's a lot you can bring to the table and you see companies who do it right and companies do it wrong because you get to lift the hood on all these businesses. And look, you guys have been in companies and managed businesses. You realize that some companies that you look at from the outside when you lift the hood, like, whoa, that company is not well run at all. And other companies that you think you know, from the outside might not look great are actually incredibly well run businesses. And so I've tried to pick up those lessons along the way and investment banking and private equity, you know, to your point, really helped me do that. So, you know, I, I'd love to ask 2,700 more questions on just that alone, uh, but I'm, I'm actually kind of curious. I mean, obviously, I, I've seen something like it's the new front door, right? right. And as uh, I, I don't want to throw, but let's talk Teladoc Livongo, you know, rumors of Amada uh, and Amwell, you yep. know, this roll up. Where do the entrepreneur and, and all of this is going to get rolled up, right? I mean, mental health, behavior health, uh, yes. you know, a lot of digital therapeutic companies. I think it personally, two senses, it's going to be a little bit of a war between pharma and the new front doors, right? Who grabs yep. them and how um, and, and, and the value. Where do the entrepreneurs look at innovating, right? Because on one side, you can step back and say, holy shit, right? I mean, everything going to get just eaten up and, you know, from content and therapeutic areas rolled up into, you know, 
teledocs of the world and cloud breaks of the world is the front yep. door. I'll pause, man. <laughs> I think I think when you look at the digital health space, I think consumers in that space, so you're talking about health systems, you're talking about federally qualified healthcare clinics, you're talking about payers and pharma. I think people want platform, not point solution. And so I that now, by the way, that doesn't mean if you're an entrepreneur, there's not an opportunity to start a point solution. You just know your exit's going to be to a platform, right? <laughs> um, yeah. Because hospitals don't want to work with multiple vendors on these types of initiatives, and they want someone who can come in and help them tie together the infrastructure. I think it's one of the reasons why we've seen EMRs take the prominence that they have is that they do so many things for the hospital and they're for all intents and purposes, the hospital's ERP system. Um, and they're how the hospital bills and they're how the hospital do orders, right? And so more and more has taken, um, has fallen under the you know, purveyorship, I don't know what the right word is, um, or the, the sphere of EMRs. And so I think EMRs are gonna have a role in this infrastructure going forward. But my whole thought process is that local healthcare still wins the day. Um, and so I think servicing all these local healthcare systems for us is where we've wanted to play because as a patient, I want to know that I can be in a patient in an encounter on telemedicine and have that doctor say, you know what? I'm really concerned about that cut. We'd like to see you right away. Can you go to the ER and we'll fast track you to the back? Right. Right. That to me is how healthcare should work. It should be a coordinated system, a continuum of care all interlocked, interwoven, um, that gets the patient the care they need, when they need it, how they need it. Um, and in, again, I'll, I'll throw in, in the language that so, they speak. So prediction, so prediction for us, Jamie, like, like um, Epic, Amazon, I don't know, Google, throw someone else in there, throw Livongo in there. Like, it's just like, you know, you up get health, all these- Uphealth. Uphealth, right. Yeah, uphealth. You get all these monsters now, you know, meaning not in a bad way, but like in a good way, meaning consolidating, trying to provide value like a lot to shake out, man, <laughs> like that's a lot to shake out, you know, like does Epic, you know, like you said, these gatekeepers, like that's always been the challenge in healthcare, right? The gatekeepers, yeah. do they, do they try to do what you guys are doing in a different way? And they probably are in some aspects or I don't, I don't you know, to go into detail, but what's your take on, are we looking at 25 platforms in the next five years or is it? No, I think there's going to be rampant consolidation still because I think scale matters in healthcare. Um, and it's hard to be a smaller healthcare company out there and fight in the, you know, fight the battles that a lot of the smaller companies have to fight. And from a sales cycle standpoint, from a sales and marketing standpoint, just all those different types of things. So again, I think platform wins the day there, you know, will the tech giants, uh, Google, Microsoft, Amazon, you know, have a footprint in healthcare? Absolutely. They absolutely will. Like it, it's impossible that they that they won't. You know, you've got Amazon owning PillPack now coming hard into pharmacy. Natural extension of what they do as a retail business. I think that's something that Amazon has always been a genius about. And by the way, we yeah. at CloudBreak have tried to rip a page out of Amazon's playbook from that perspective. So if I look at Amazon, like we look at it as, hey, they were a company who initially started off selling books realized they were really good at e-commerce and then opened up a marketplace to sell other things and have grown from there with logical evolutions each step of the way. Pharmacy for them is not a stretch. It's a logical evolution of the platform they already have. So we at CloudBreak were like, well, we started off at language services. We have this digital infrastructure out there. What's the next logical evolution? What's to add use cases to the platform, right? Right. Um, I take a look at, you know, that being said, a lot of Silicon Valley companies haven't been very successful in healthcare. Right. right. And so why is that? 
Um, I hate saying that healthcare is a special industry and a special place to be, but at the end of the day, it is. Um, And healthcare change, the great companies in healthcare have usually come because someone's worked in healthcare, realized there's a problem, knew enough on how to navigate the system and to get clinical involved um, and not build a technology for technology's sake, but to build a solution that the system actually needs. And that's where I think healthcare companies from an entrepreneurship standpoint still carry a lot of weight um, that Silicon Valley still hasn't to this day really understood is that, yeah. look, change from the outside in is great, but because of the regulations and because of the mentality and culture of healthcare, change in healthcare productively usually comes from the inside out. And it's frustrating yeah. for me because I see what Uber has done and I see what Airbnb has yeah. done. I'm like, we need to learn from those things and bring them into healthcare, but that needs to be done with people who actually understand how healthcare works. But we're going to see cross-pollination of talent, right? And it's happening Absolutely. already. It's been happening and it's going to continue Absolutely. happening at an even more rapid pace. Yeah, but I think to your point, that's going to that makes sense because you're going to team up a clinical person with someone who really understands tech and together they're going to come up with what that solution is. But did, did you feel like with, in healthcare, I always felt like that you had these up oh, time, we're in time. You have I these mean, pinch points. We, we have these control of our own destiny, but. <laughs> I've got, hey, I've got time. <laughs> Jamie wants to make this the longest episode of yeah, all the seasons. Like, so we could make this very meta. It could be like eight hours long. Think of the potential, boys. Come on. We can, yeah. like, yeah, I, what I was saying is like like the this whole like like Eugene and I sitting in Europe, right? Like so the you know, if you walk through these different healthcare systems, like you know, like like I have to do with my company because we operate in lots of different countries um with Health Vegan, but they the they're so different, you know, the Belgian providers, the Dutch providers, yes. the Irish providers, the UK providers. And in these markets, there's undoubtedly pinch points in the market where someone's controlling access to the patient, you know, access to recommendation, access to distribution, you know, access to a regulatory pathway, access to reimbursement. And so like in the States, it's like, it's like you know, you've got what, three or four insurance companies, specialty providers that control these accents. And like, that fundamentally blocks collaboration, right? Like, in, in, you know, because Correct. it's like, you can't let, you I just know, want to drink more. Yeah. <laughs> no, so, so one, I totally agree with you. And I, there's a few things, there's a, there's a lot of nuggets in what you just said. One, in Europe, all these countries, which are all right next to each other, right? Are all very different, different cultures, separated by valleys, you know, grew up with a different tribal kind of mindset. But I think the thing that's really impressive about Europeans is, you guys all speak multiple languages. So you find a way to bridge the gap amongst that. And I think healthcare is no different, right? Like we need people people who speak multiple healthcare languages to be able to tie all these things together. And in the United States, like we have a fundamental problem with our system. Look at at Kaiser and the VA. They're doing over 50% of their visits over telemedicine because they're an integrated platform that controls the experience for the patient from end to end. And the patient can pull on what they need when they need it, wellness, diet, whatever, like those systems provide all of that. And therefore they're able to be really efficient. We haven't been able to translate that yet to broader community healthcare Mm -hmm. because of the competitive environment, James, I think to your point, right? Right. So I don't understand why the U S government, I'm going to, this is my bold idea for the day. Are you guys ready for it? We're ready. Why doesn't the U S government, just go out and acquire on fair market value terms, Humana, Aetna, and a bunch of these insurance companies, and then tie them together into one insurer that could really be the 
what I would call, I think a two-tier health system in the United States would be perfectly fine as long as that base tier of care is okay. But if you want Medicare for all, that's the way you accomplish it, right? right? Or, or look at the Dutch system. I always look at the Dutch system also, which actually the Obamacare yeah. was was sort of tried to be modeled. Modeled after on, that. Right. It, it's actually a highly privatized marketplace. Yeah. In the Netherlands. I, I'm a, yeah. I always think these, these, these notions, like I tell people, like when they talk about, they, you go to the UK and everyone goes NHS, right? And yeah. you see massive, and it was like, it's government and everything has to look into the NHS, but massive private sector, massive yeah. private and massive private providers, but they know the rules of the game in terms, or they have to figure out the rules of the game in well, terms of how there's some, they there's caps it on it. Right? So much efficiency. Yeah. I mean, I think it's such a, those models work well. It's, it's why the United States is ranked, you know, lower than some third world countries in WHO rankings. Right. Um, we have a huge opportunity here to make things better. So I vote uh, the, that Joe Biden um, takes you as a health secretary. There you go. You uh, heard it here first, already, people. I appreciate <laughs> I, that. I think he's. I think he's already made his selection. But I'll, I'll look at the camera and say, Joe, if you're out there and you do need yeah. some assistance, I'm happy to, you know, so he, step in and yeah. advise. I would like to serve my country pretty, in that uh, way. Be, being part of the startup health tribe, right? Um, Howard Crane, right? I actually yeah, yeah. Saw saw him on stage. So yeah, yeah, it was great. I was there. We were there. You sound pretty pumped for 2021 then bringing this all together and you know, what's the game plan? Um, I'm super pumped for 2021, but let me tell you, I was super pumped for 2020. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know what means, but being super pumped about 2020 is all about, but look, I mean, we, as a company, we're growing really rapidly. Um, we signed some new contracts, which are going to be implemented, which kind of lock in a bunch of our revenue for, you know, um, you know, the next coming year, being a part of this combination is super, super exciting, gives us a chance to kind of live our dream on a much more grander scale um, and continue to kind of impact people the way that we want in a really positive way and continue to increase access to care and do all those things that are really close with our mission. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm an, I, look, as an entrepreneur, I'm an optimist um, and uh, I surround myself with realists to make sure I don't go, you know, too far off tangent. Um, I think that's part of being a good entrepreneur, but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty stoked about 2021. I think it's going to be a great year. Awesome. So that's, this is fantastic. And this also tells me, Jim, that I think we need to bring a realist with us as a partner. (laughs) 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 We're not going to help you with that realism thing, Jamie. Yeah. 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 yeah, (laughs) I've got plenty in my, I got plenty in my bag. If you need some realists, I'm happy. My my bottle is always half full. So that's it. (laughs) Batteries included. (laughs) Batteries included. Exactly. Exactly. Always, always, always a pleasure. And for the, watchers viewers listeners just hit that subscribe button yeah guys this was a ton of fun thank you so much for having me on this was a blast thanks for all the wisdom pleasure